It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. We're glad you stopped by. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Under the Trump administration, the Justice Department ended certain humanitarian protections for immigrants. Tonight, the California Report examines the department's different approach to deportation under President Biden. And. Governor Newsom pledged to make fighting wildfires top priority. However, the California report covers an investigation showing the state is doing less wildfire prevention work than under Newsom's predecessor. We'll take a brief look at regional headlines and weather before Felton Pruitt speaks with the new executive director of Nevada City Chamber of Commerce, Stuart Baker, in this week's Nevada City Chamber Report. We close tonight with a commentary by Ginny Hoyt. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. For years, the Justice Department has defended the Trump administration's decision to end humanitarian protections for an estimated 55,000 immigrants living here in California. And it's continued under President Joe Biden, who as a candidate pledged to protect what's called temporary protected status. But as KQED's Farida Javala-Romero reports, that may be changing. In 2018, a teenager from the Bay Area became lead plaintiff in a lawsuit that blocked the Trump administration from potentially deporting her mom and hundreds of thousands of immigrants nationwide. And until recently, the U.S. Department of Justice kept arguing in court for the government to end Temporary Protected Status, or TPS, for most holders. But now, lawyers for the DOJ and plaintiffs have asked the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in Pasadena to put a hold on the case and allow them to try to reach a settlement. I think what it signals is that the Biden administration may no longer be interested in defending the Trump-era TPS terminations. Lead counsel Ahilan Arulanantham co-directs the Center for Immigration Law and Policy at UCLA. Which, if true, would be very, very good news for about 400,000 people. A spokesman for the DOJ declined to comment. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala-Romero. California lawmakers, their staffs, and the general public will still be required to wear face coverings in certain parts of the state capitol in Sacramento, regardless of whether they're vaccinated. The Sacramento Bee reports that everyone will be required to wear masks in common areas. Those who remain unvaccinated cannot remove their masks unless they're alone in a room or while eating and spaced apart from others. They'll have to take weekly COVID tests and provide a negative result to enter the capitol building. Support for the California Report comes from SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Peck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. And Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. In 2019, on Governor Gavin Newsom's first full day in office, he declared war on wildfires. I hear you. I get it. Uh, We need to do more and do better. Uh, These last two years have been devastating. 
With that announcement, Newsom signed a sweeping executive order that he said would overhaul the state's approach to wildfire prevention. But did it? Reporter Scott Rod from our partner station Cap Radio in Sacramento joins us now with an update on that. Good morning to you, Scott. Good morning, Lily. And Scott, you've been investigating and what you've been learning is disturbing. You found that after an initial spike, the state is actually doing less wildfire prevention work under Governor Newsom than under his predecessor. Talk about what you found. That's right. Our investigation found that in 2020, the worst fire season in California history, wildfire prevention work dropped by half of what was done the previous year. And at the same time, Newsom had cut funding for wildfire prevention in the budget by over $100 million. And it's worth noting that was before COVID-19 hit. This year through Memorial Day, we also found that the state remains below its goal for fire prevention work. Newsom didn't talk to us for the story, but we did talk to Cal Fire Chief Tom Porter. Here's what he had to say. It's not something that I'm comfortable with. It is something that, that I am working to reconcile and to um, uh, correct for the future. But we had an exceptional fire year. Everybody knows that. The environment to do this kind of work uh, has been very challenging and has hampered our ability to get the acres that we do have planned for, but we haven't been able to put the attention to. And, you know, fire experts I spoke to said that there's some credence to that. It was an extraordinary fire season. COVID-19 complicated things. But it also shows just how fragile the prevention infrastructure in California is and the need to strengthen it. Because at the end of the day, fire doesn't take a break because of a pandemic or because the state's experiencing a different emergency. Yeah, and it sounds like what Chief Porter is saying there is that they did less wildfire prevention work because they had so many wildfires last year and that those fires blocked Cal Fire from doing that wildfire prevention work. That is a concerning precedent. You know, over the last year or two, we've heard Governor Newsom again and again boast about these wildfire prevention projects that Cal Fire had supposedly completed across the state. What has happened with those? When Newsom first entered office, he asked Cal Fire to give him recommendations on how the state could get its arms around the wildfire problem. Cal Fire came back and they recommended dozens of fire prevention projects that would help protect some of the most vulnerable communities in California. Those projects at first represented about 90,000 acres that were going to be treated. Through our data review and uh, records polling, we found that they had only completed about 12,000 of those acres. But nevertheless, Newsom claimed that the state had treated the full 90,000 acres. And that's important because it signals to those communities that they're being kept safe by this prevention work, again, in areas that are very susceptible to wildfires. Well, it's remarkable to hear that difference. 12,000 acres completed versus 90,000 acres touted. It's hard to process how the governor could be, you know, touting those numbers when they're so far from reality. You've been talking to fire survivors about this. What's been their reaction? One person in particular, Mitch McKenzie, who has experienced quite a bit with wildfires in recent years. He lost his home to the Tubbs Fire in 2017 and had about a a third of his inventory at his wine business uh, essentially ruined by fire and smoke last year. He told me that he felt like he was being deceived by what Newsom had told the public. When a politician can make a statement that he's treated Um, 100% of a certain area that he lays out, and then the truth comes out that he's only treated 10% of it. I think that 
with the kind of fires and the fire danger that we're in in this area, that's quite shocking. Mitch McKenzie there, a 2017 wildfire victim weighing in as we come off the worst fire season on record and as we brace for the year ahead. Cap Radio Scott Rod, thank you so much for this reporting. Thank you. And Scott's story is online now at capradio.org. I've also posted it on Twitter. I am at Lily Jamali. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, June 23rd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. The Nevada City City Council has declared a drought stage 3 warning effective immediately as reported by UBINET. The stage 3 warning carries mandatory water restrictions, including reducing water usage by 20% of 2020 levels, limiting watering of outdoor plants to twice a week, and shutting off all outdoor water features. Mayor Minette stated her hope that by acting sooner rather than later, a sufficient conservation effort would subvert more extreme mandatory measures down the road. Police officers and mental health counselors are currently negotiating with an armed man inside a home within the Oak Crest Village gated community in Citrus Heights. The Sacramento Bee reports that upon arrival around 8 a.m. this morning, officers found a man in his home with a firearm. The man fired several rounds that did not strike anyone. The Roadside Vegetation Management Tracker is a new mapping tool now available on the Ready Nevada County dashboard. It aims to help residents view evacuation routes treated by Nevada County Public Works Department. And now for regional weather. The National Weather Service has reported the possibility of isolated mountain and foothill thunderstorms tomorrow and Friday. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear skies with a low around 62. Tomorrow, partly cloudy with a high near 84. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 44. Tomorrow, a high near 76. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear skies with a low around 58. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 87. It's time for this week's KVMR Evening News Chamber Report. Tonight, Felton Pruitt speaks to Stuart Baker, the new executive director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. Get to know a bit about the new executive director and hear about upcoming events, including Nevada City Summer Nights. We're talking with the executive director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce, Stuart Baker. Stuart, thank you for talking with us. Thank you very much as well. So this is a new gig for you. You just came on, what, a week ago or so, or a couple weeks? Uh, three weeks ago. Yeah. It feels like two years, though, in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your plate right now that Nevada City Chamber of Commerce has to tackle? Oh, well, we have to play a lot of catch-up regarding uh, everything that didn't happen during COVID. We have to go in and do what we can, supporting merchants, getting events rolling again. People are really excited to get out into Nevada City and, and start to celebrate uh, this new phase of our collective lives together. And uh, so we're having right now a lot of efforts being put to getting summer nights going again. We had a Village Market Day two weeks ago, which was a really big success. We had a lot of folks come out for that. And we also had the uh, First Friday Art Walks, which actually also did really great. And we'll be having those every Friday through September. So what's the story with Hot Summer Nights? Are we going to have them this year? 
Okay, so just a point to note, uh, hot summer nights are in Reno. We just call them Nevada City summer nights. Right, right. And they are happening, and it's the 14th, the 21st, and the 28th of July. So those three dates are what you should be putting on your calendar and coming on down. And we're having the same kind of party we always had for that, uh, for, for those nights, and we're looking forward to it. Will there be any special COVID restrictions for that? No, they fall uh, under the size limit that the state requires. Like, for example, the, the, the county fair, I believe, is under, um, you know, a, sort of a watch uh, regarding that. I, I forget, uh, you know, when event is of a certain size, but luckily we fall under that size. And it's an outdoor event. And so we're not particularly concerned uh, ourselves. We're just hoping it'll We'll get folks coming out and enjoying themselves. Oh, well, it's always been one of the biggest things. How many people would you say have come over the last, like, five years? Because it's, it's uh, you can't park. It's just amazing how many I people know, come out. It is. You know, it, it's, it's a really tough thing to do to, to understand crowd size. Uh, there's no kind of official, like, electronic system that does that. And so we have to really guesstimate it. But we predict you know somewhere around uh, 1500 visitors per night that's kind of our guesstimate as to where uh, what we'll be seeing uh, that's that's the the hope at least this year and it's an amazing increase in business for all the local businesses there too so it, it is absolutely yeah and it's just a great way for people to just get comfortable being around other people too and to your note about parking being so bad, we do have a shuttle service and we have adjusted the rates for that. And it goes from the Root Center. You can look on our website to see the schedule uh, prior to the event. That could be something that uh, makes it easier for folks if they're concerned about parking. You mentioned the website. What is the website? It's nevadacitychamber.com. Let's talk about parades. Now, over the years, I've actually been one of the sound people for the parades for the last 10 years. Are we going to start having parades again? Absolutely. We're excited and looking forward to it. Fourth of July this year is going to be in Grass Valley, and the fireworks are going to be shot over Dorsey Drive. But we will be having the Constitution Day events just as we previously had them prior to COVID, and uh, we're looking forward to that. We're also, um, we'll be having uh, a bigger turnout this year of attendees in terms of floats, et cetera, because there's a different system in which folks that are involved in these types of things statewide are notified. And so we're predicting that that the event will be bigger this year than in the past three. So looking forward to that. And that is in uh, September, I believe it's the 18th and 19th of September over that weekend. What's your personal history with Nevada City? How did you come to want to be the executive director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce? Well, I started, um, so I I grew up in a a town in northern New Mexico called Taos and uh, moved to California right before college and uh, then ended up in the Bay Area. And I came up to Nevada City as a student with the California College for Ayurvedic here on Zion Street. And I just was was blown away. I I couldn't believe there was a town in, in California that was so much like where I grew up. So I spent two years in the program, stayed along and decided, hey, okay, this is the place for me. I bought some land and then 
proceeded to try and build a straw bale house and realized that it was just a lot more work than I was up for. <laughs> but then at a certain point decided, uh, you know what, this town is great, bought a place here to be part time. And then over COVID, uh, we decided, you know what, um, Nevada City is is a much better place to be than in a big city. And so we uh, decided to, to spend more time here. And here we are. That's it. So previously, I ran the Telegraph Business Improvement District in Berkeley. So I have a lot of experience in terms of uh, running an organization similar to the Chamber and uh, doing the myriad things that we need to do to get things working and running, including events and uh, promotion and supporting businesses. And that's one of the things that I'm really excited to help foster and do uh, is around business development. You know, businesses need more resources to know how to run a business from understanding labor laws to figuring out all the regulations, et cetera, related to things like ADA and, and, and the like. So um, I'd like to be working on that and then also doing things to help bring the two business communities in Nevada City closer together. And that's, of course, downtown and uh, Seven Hills Business District. Those are some of the things I'm looking forward to doing, but really making it easier to do business, especially right now. We want to get all our storefronts fully occupied again. And because COVID here, like everywhere else, has, has taken a toll with some businesses, but we want to get business folks back into downtown and get things rolling again. It sounds like we got the right guy uh, to, to start running this. Of course, for decades, we had Kathy Wittesley running things. And then for the last year, Gretchen Bond jumped in and helped out. So uh, we continue. And, and Jesse Locks as well. Oh, yeah. Right. And I, wanted, I, and I absolutely want to say a big shout out of appreciation for the 35 years that Kathy had uh, worked uh, as leading the chamber. I mean, it's just those are hard shoes to fill in terms of the event work that she did and the coordination. So I just wanted to say, uh, at least for myself, uh, a great deal of appreciation for what she had created over time here. And uh, we're going to take that tradition and, and uh, take it further. We've been talking with Stuart Baker. He's the new executive director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. We wish you the best, Stuart. Thank you so much and look forward to giving you updates in the future. We look forward to that, too. Thank you. We close tonight with commentary by environmental activist Ginny Hoyt. When dealing with climate change, large concepts can be difficult to clearly visualize. After joining Citizens Climate Lobby, Ginny used an out-of-the-box idea to get others to understand the effects of carbon emissions on our climate. In this evening's commentary, Ginny explains how an impactful project is more beneficial than allowing fear of the climate crisis to overwhelm you from taking action. I'm here to talk about climate change. The changes in our climate were less obvious to me when I lived in Oklahoma. In fact, I thought that weather and climate described the same thing, rather than two separate parts of the same problem. Weather is what happens on a daily basis, rain, shine, whatever, whereas climate represents the pattern formed by the daily input. The problem developing was that our climate was registering an overall heat increase that, if not arrested, would threaten life as we know it. In Oklahoma, the weather was so changeable that climate change was hidden well. So taking care of horses required me to spend most of my time dealing with the screwy weather. When I moved to Grass Valley, with its more consistent weather patterns, climate became a more prominent issue. 
It's hard to ignore drought and unrelenting summer heat when you're caring for horses. Additionally, the changing climate was becoming more of a national issue. I went from, it's somebody else's problem, to wake up, girl, and do something. In Grass Valley, I began attending citizens' climate lobby meetings in the hope of finding something, anything, I could do as an individual. Magically, the arrival of a newcomer, Isaac Yoder, was the catalyst. He talked about having helped in the building of an everyday, totally recognizable object to reflect the amount of carbon produced by one gallon of gas burned in one's automobile. The object was, drumroll, a shoe, an ordinary lace-up Oxford-like shoe, ordinary except for the length of its footprint, which was 15 and a half feet. Now, the term footprint is used to represent the volume of the emissions released into the atmosphere, and that boils down to a lot of dirty carbon. In Illinois, the hope was that the outlandishly large shoe would jolt people into thinking about the necessity of addressing climate change. Seeing can be believing, but the Middle Western shoe was evidently ahead of its time. My romance with thought outside the box kicked in, and I offered my barn as a building site for a West Coast shoe. We formed a team which included Isaac, thank goodness, and scraped together plywood, two-by-fours, chicken wire, and a lot of fabric. The basic structure we covered with paper mache. We got a trailer, we modified it to display and carry the shoe, and moved everything up to the garage at the Unitarian Church in Grass Valley. It was at that point that the virus hit town. Group meetings were out, so the shoe went into hibernation. Now that things are opening up and the shoe has been finished, by Katerina Scors and me, and it's ready to go. It turns out, following the arrival of the national pandemic was a plus for us. People were having to deal with new ways of doing things on a daily basis. Change is difficult under ordinary circumstances. Here, it was cataclysmic. So the virus had offered up the necessity for thinking anew, and our shoe was definitely there to deliver an old message in a new way. Very soon, the shoe will be ready to debut. I heard that there is to be a 4th of July parade. We'll find out more, and hopefully that will be our venue for debut. Get in touch with David Whitehead at Citizens Climate Lobby or Bob Miller at the Unitarian Church in Grass Valley. We already have environmental groups throughout California asking for a shoe visit to play in their climate action events this summer. But here in Grass Valley is where the West Coast shoe ought to be seen first. The shoe project has been fun to do from the get-go. Join us as, it, as its future unfolds or start your own wacky idea. It's better to have fun working on an unusual but positive project rather than having fear of what will happen if nothing is done. A great big thank you to our local Nevada County chapter of CCL, Citizens Climate Lobby, uh, for the non-judgmental nurturing atmosphere that allowed the shoe to be born again here in California. I urge you to join in more attention-getting activities that will help save our sweet earth.
The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. Ginny Hoyt is an antisocial farmer, horse rescuer, and dog savior who was forced to live in the hinterlands off the edge of the world between Grass Valley and Auburn. That's our newscast for tonight, Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. We get support from Heartwood Eatery, organic cafe on Commercial Street, Nevada City, offering a seasonal menu of organic salads, grain bowls, toasts, and nourishing tonics featuring local farmers and producers. Heartwood Eatery is open 10 to 4, closed Mondays. And Sierra Ambulatory Surgery Center, LLC providing outpatient ophthalmic surgical procedures, interventional pain management, also surgeries of the foot and ankle since 2006. Sierra Ambulatory Surgery Center on Sierra College Drive, Grass Valley. S-A-S-C-Online.com. Stay tuned to KVMR for the Sages Among Us beginning at 6.30. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.